Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode 26 of the Melissa RX Scripts podcast, and thanks for listening. Well, the days are getting longer. We're moving closer to spring, although you wouldn't know it this morning with how cold it is here in Iowa. And I'm so grateful for the pharmacists, student pharmacists, and pharmacy technicians caring for patients and working so hard during COVID-19 with the vaccine distribution and administration. Thank you. Well, now on today's podcast, I'll be talking with Valerie Prince, Valerie and I are going to be discussing many things, including her leadership experiences and passion for teaching. She's so great at that. I'll give you a bit of an introduction to Val and then let her also tell you about herself, her career, and her many varied experiences in life in general. Valerie Prince is a clinical pharmacy specialist at Christ Health Center Family Medicine Residency Program. She served as APHA APPM president, speaker of the APHA House of Delegates, and on the APHA Board of Trustees. Valerie also is the recipient of the Linwood F. Tice Friend of APHA ASP Award and the APHA APPM Distinguished Achievement in Clinical Practice Award. Valerie's primary areas of interest are pain management, substance abuse disorders, mentoring, and interprofessional practice and education. I can't wait to learn more. Well, Val, thanks for being here with me today. As we get started, maybe you can talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up, about your family and your pharmacy experience at Mercer. Thank you for having me. I grew up in a rural area in Alabama, which I'm sure you never would have guessed from the accent that I'm from Alabama. I love it. At the high school I went to was called Smokeneck Tech, if that tells you anything about how rural the area was. And I worked most of the time actually during high school. So I had a little bit different experience. Started working about full time when I was around 16 years old. Um, but I had a very good season of life then. I was very happy with my work. And those were my friends. Got married right out of high school and am still married to the same person, which is quite unusual in this day and age. I think for people to be married 36 years when they got married as young as I was. And then I went on and took a long and winding route to pharmacy school. But my husband was in the military, and so we had to move for a while. When we came back, I went ahead and started at Mercer because that's where he got a job. And it turned out to be such a good thing because Mercer was excellent. I'm sure it still is excellent, but it was a great place to go to school. I had so many peers there who helped encourage me and helped me develop all kinds of things in my life that I'd never thought I would have. And it was a, it was a great training experience. Then spent one year at the Regional Medical Center in Memphis, the MED, which is the home of the Elvis Presley Memorial Trauma Center. And after that, started to practice. And I practiced primarily in acute care environments since I came out. But I've had some a few other experiences as well, but primarily I'm an acute care guy. Well, I love you sharing that background and that history. And, you know, it's always interesting to learn about how couples meet and that you and Chip met, you know, many years ago and have stayed together. I think those love stories like that are inspiring for all of us to hear. So thank you for sharing that. 
You know, I also know that in your life, a guiding force is faith and also community. So, you know, these are tough times. It's been a tough year or so with everything that people have been dealing with. So what are you hopeful about now? And what practices do you have in place to help you get through this season? One of my characteristics, and which some people think is great and some people think it's naive, is that I can always see a positive in things and as much tragedy and heartbreak and the horrible losses that people have suffered because of COVID, I can see positives in that. You can always find something good. I have found that people are spending so much more time together as families. That's just a really good thing. I found that people seem to have more of a sense of community. We're all in this together. Pharmacy as a profession has certainly had some positives come out of this with a lot of the of the new things that we're able to do now. And I think that our our role in the healthcare team has just really been highlighted by the things that we've been able to do during COVID. I think all of those things are good, as well as just the general knowledge in the public about some things. The things that people are learning about COVID, many of them apply to the flu and a lot of other infectious processes. And I, I just think people will be more careful now. Overall, I think it will help with health and it will help our profession. Not that I'm happy that it happened, but when it does happen, you can find some good things in it. Yeah, Val, I think those silver linings that you're talking about, whether it be learnings from it or understanding of access, and I share with you that positive feeling about you know, pharmacy coming together to work on COVID and, you know, some of the things that have come out of it and also the heightened awareness, I think, that people have related to public health and just how some of these things kind of transpire, you know, within their own family and and in the larger community. So those reflections are really insightful. And I, I appreciate that, you know, you shared that. So we started talking a little bit about your journey in life and your journey in pharmacy. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about how you got to where you are today and you know who were some of your mentors or your influencers along the way, both pre and post pharmacy school? Pre pharmacy school, probably my biggest influence had to be the grandmother who had a large role in raising me. She was very big on emphasizing education. She had a fourth grade education herself and she always had a great big Bible and a dictionary next to her bed or her chair, wherever she was. Uh, and was very much well self-taught in a number of things. And she always encouraged that in me, as well as telling me that, but just because you have a lot of education or you don't, um, that's not what, what is important about anybody. She would say, it's not how much money you have. It's not how much education you have. <laughs> it's your character. That's the way that she would say it. It's your character and the way you treat people. That's what's important in life. And she also taught me don't waste. So don't waste electricity. Don't waste water. Don't waste paper. To this day, I will only use half a Kleenex at a time because (laughs) it pounded in my head that you don't waste anything ever. So uh, she was a very big influence before pharmacy school. And then once I got to pharmacy school, I had so many peer mentors. There were people that I went to school with, classmates. There were people in APHA ASP, which was my platform for more personal growth than I could have ever imagined, personal and professional growth. There were people like the Patty Gazdak Manalakases. There was Michelle Lawar. There were Kim Krugers, a lot of people who really influenced me and 
I have definitely tried to turn that around uh, and pay that forward. I also had some faculty members that really believed in me. Probably my biggest faculty mentor in pharmacy school that followed me until his recent death was Jim Bartling. He always uh, encouraged me and encouraged a balance in life. Uh He would say, you don't have time to do that right now. You don't have time to be the president. And I would tell him, well, I've got, you know, I've got this opportunity and it's coming up. And he would say, yeah, that's going to look real good on your resume instead of <laughs> instead of your diploma from pharmacy school. So he, he had a very grounding kind of effect as well as an encouraging effect. And then when I got out of pharmacy school and in the early years of practicing, particularly in association activities, I had so many female mentors uh, who were so strong and influenced me so much over the years. And those were people like Lucinda Main and Jan Engel. I had so many like female officers in the Academy of Pharmacy Practice and Management and APHA who were ahead of me, who welcomed me in when I first transitioned out of pharmacy school in the early years. Um, All those people, all that influence was just critical for me. And I've always tried to turn around and make sure that I was a positive influence on on other people in return. Well, I definitely think you've done that. I've been the positive influence. And, you know, I appreciated learning more about your grandmother and her influence. And I found during these pandemic times that I've reflected on some of the lessons from my grandmother. Recently, I did some baking. And, you know, like you, I heard that voice in my head and I was actually making homemade pretzels and I needed to have the dough proof and rise. And my grandmother used to put it on the radiator. And so I did the (laughs) same thing because I live in a house from the 1920s and it worked, but it was just such a, like these little lessons kind of come back to you, you know, about what they taught you over the years. And I'm, you know, so grateful for the time we had together and know that she's still with me. And it sounds like your grandmother is still with you too. And, you know, the insights and lessons that you shared from peer mentors can make such a difference. You know, they're walking alongside of you, but sometimes they see things in you that you don't even see yourself, or they know that you can do it, even if it's something you've never done before. So you mentioning, you know, Michelle and then Patty Gazdek-Menelakis' leadership and a couple of the other mentors that supported you as you got started after as a new practitioner and early on with APHA, APPM, Lucinda Main, Jen Engel, we've had both of them on the Melissa Rx Scripps podcast and others have shared that. And I think their willingness to be a sounding board and just an encourager and to talk about their own experience and provide examples and that you now pay it forward, I think to so many students and residents is so important and makes a difference for all of us, for sure. Well, in your introduction, I talked about your current practice and your current practice is really interesting. You mentor resident physicians as well as student pharmacists and also pharmacy residents. That is just such a cool combination. So let's dig a little deeper on this one. What does that look like day to day? It looks like the very best practice site I've ever had in my whole life. Ooh, love it. And it looks like a practice site, which to me is God's reward to me for some of the struggles I had early in practice being accepted by physicians and other disciplines uh, for my role as a pharmacist, not understanding what it was that I could do. There's none of that where I am now. Absolutely. Where I am now, if I have not been with them for a period of time, if I've been on vacation or for whatever reason, I, I, I have not been grounding with them at the site. When I open the door to the call room and come in in the morning, and particularly if I've got my students behind me, 
what I hear is, yay, we've got farm, we've got farm. I mean, it's like a very a happy occasion. And very early in practice, what I would hear was things like, if I see you touching my chart again, I'll have your job. Or people calling down to the pharmacy to cuss me and saying, who do you think you are to, you know, to try to make a recommendation to me about an antibiotic? You should have gone to medical school if you wanted to practice medicine. So daylight and dark is what this practice is like. And we have a very high level of mutual respect. And I would say, for the most part, affection. The program I'm with is a three-year family medicine residency program. And we particularly draw residents who are interested in serving underserved populations or doing mission work. So they come in and most of the time they're at their outpatient clinic because for family medicine, uh, most of you probably know that's the physicians who say they treat people from the cradle to the grave. They just see everything. But most of them are very focused towards ambulatory care practices. Our particular program has a really strong component of acute care practice. But since that's not their natural environment or interest, I think they particularly appreciate having some extra education, someone else who helps them learn and someone else who helps them look at every patient every day. I also do things for them like uh, I'm a faculty for their program. So I'll help them do OSCEs when they come in to evaluate their incoming skills and do evaluations for them. I interview incoming medical residents and I was part of a mentoring program for them. I was the only non-physician mentor in the program, but it was really about trying to uh, connect your calling and how to express your faith in your practice and that kind of thing. And so they felt like I was an appropriate person. It was a great, uh, it was a great program. Well, I think you talking about the excitement and passion that they have when pharmacy's there is super exciting, you know, pharmacy or pharmacy here. And, you know, I think we've seen more of that multidisciplinary and, and different groups working together during COVID-19, but to know that that's been so accepted and integrated and valued, I think is really important and interesting for our listeners. And then I also love, as you talked about family medicine, you know, family medicine is so important and it's so important for our rural or underserved populations. And so to have, you know, your experience as a pharmacist to be part of that team and training physicians, residents in that I just think is is a really neat thing to do. And I love that you were part of the interview process. You know, it sounds like you've done a lot of things that have really blazed a trail and now are becoming more commonplace and more accepted. But I also think sometimes people need to hear about it or see an example to be like, oh yeah, we could try that too. Someone else has done it, you know, even if it's like a different part of the country. So I think that's that's a really cool thing that you shared. And I'm glad to hear the positive progress from when you first started of, you know, don't touch that chart. Who do you think you are? What are you doing? And to also acknowledge that we do know that in certain parts of the country or at certain times, that kind of pushback still may happen. But, you know, we need to be encouraging, like keep going. Don't, you know, don't give up. Don't stop. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What I have always told people is that you, you can't be discouraged and you can't control how the other person is going to behave. All you can do is do the right thing and keep on trying to build relationships because the, that's the key. It's not how much knowledge you have. It's the kind of relationships that you can build. That's what will make you successful. Yes. Keep going and keep on building the relationships. Cause I mean, we know that that's how stuff gets done and that's how people help each other out. And you've probably seen too, and you know, we've touched on some of your important relationships in your career 
these last for a really long time. And they're the kind of thing that you might not even be in touch. You and I hadn't talked for a while and then, you know, reconnected. I mean, we see each other usually at APHA annual meetings, but, you know, you can just pick up the phone or text or talk to someone and be like, hey, you know, how are things going? So I agree with you. Relationships matter so, so much. They're a big deal. Well, you know, in the introduction, I talked about where we are kind of right now with public health and the pandemic in our intro. And, you know, there's another big public health matter that's been going on for quite some time, the opioid crisis and substance use disorders. And that continues to be such an important issue that needs to be addressed. I know in your career, you have a long record of community service and also practice interest related to substance use disorders. So can you tell me a little bit more about that, what that looks like for you? Sure. When I started pharmacy school in my very first year, they had some designated positions in the ASP chapter for different committees for you to be a vice chair on a different committee. And the one I chose was the Substance Abuse Education Committee. The reason why I chose it was because I have a very strongly family history positive background for substance use disorders. And I remember being in school and hearing, it seems like everything you see on the news or everything you hear from teachers or anything else is like, oh, if you come from a family that has this in it, or if this was going on or that was going on, you're gonna grow up and you're not gonna be successful. The same thing's gonna happen to you. And you hear these statistics about the people who are in prison and how many of them had that kind of background and or people who have uh, different disorders or, just negative, negative things about being from that kind of a family. And I wanted to go out because what that committee did was go to grade school children and talk to them and teach them about substance use. But in my case, I also wanted to tell them that, you know, I know that for some of you, crazy things are happening at your house and that other people may not necessarily know about them. Or if they do know, they pretend like they don't know because they don't know what to do about it. And you may hear that it's going to be a bad thing for you when you grow up, that you're going to be the same way. And I want you to know that you're going to be okay. You know, you can be fine. One day you are going to be an adult and you can make the rules in your house. And in your house, you can say this crazy stuff is not going to happen. And you can have a good car and have a good job and have a happy life. And that's what I wanted to tell them about. And so that was why I volunteered for my very first leadership position in ASP. It's, uh, it's amazing very first leadership position ever, because when I was in high school, all I did was work. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't involved in anything, didn't go to football games, nothing like that. So I, I started with that as the interest, but in the back of my mind, I can't say anything other than I had a really bad attitude about patients with substance use disorders because of my personal experience. And then something happened. I had a faculty member who said, I've got some funding to send you to the this University of Utah School on Alcoholism and Other Drug Dependency that was sponsored by APHA. And I also was introduced to someone who came and spoke at the school and helped us with that committee. His name was Marcus Cook. He was a pharmacist in recovery. Mm -hmm. So I traveled out to the Utah School together with Marcus. And I remember him asking me on the way out there, well, you are going to come to the 12-step meetings at night, aren't you? Because you're going to learn just as much from that as you will from the stuff during the day. And I didn't want to tell him, but I would rather take a beating than go to one of those 12-step meetings because I had been dragged to some before and not for a good constructive reason with family members. Didn't have a very good attitude about that either. 
but I loved Marcus. I mean, he is that, again, the relationship that had such a impact on me. He had helped us so much and I just really looked up to him a lot and I didn't want to hurt his feelings. Basically, I went because I didn't want to hurt his feelings. And that week just totally changed my heart. You know, you have to change your heart before you can change your mind and change your life. And that's what that did for me. So I left there with a passion to help educate and do community service in that area as a student and then for the rest of my life. And right now I serve on a role uh, on the governor's task force on opioids on a subcommittee where we're trying to develop a curriculum to help educate healthcare professionals about substance use disorders and all the complexities of that particular topic. So it was a relationship that made, made the difference. And it was a faculty member who went out of her way to send me somewhere. Wow, Valerie, I so appreciate your vulnerability and you sharing about your personal experience and you know, kind of what happened with your family and extended family earlier in your life. And I think by you sharing that, it also gives others grace to kind of look at something that they may be dealing with or not sure, you know, how to process or what that looks like. And I think part of the good news is, is there has been, especially in the last couple of years, more of a openness to share stories and for families. But I think you, it's interesting that that's the committee that you chose, you know, to be on with ASP and then how that has moved you forward. And, you know, I look at some of the work that Camille the current Miss America, who's a student pharmacist, is doing related to substance use disorders. I think raising awareness is really important. And I think just talking about it and somehow sharing, because you and I both know that probably I would say everyone in this country either has someone in their family or a neighbor that they know has been touched. I mean, you know, we talk about the pharmacy family and there was someone who had someone in our pharmacy family who had lost their sister due to alcoholism. And that had been shared on social media a a couple months before the APHA annual meeting. I want to say it was in 2019 in Seattle. And I went up and started talking to her about it and just said that I was sorry and that I had read that. And I have to tell you, Val, like when you talk about the relationship, that connection that I talked to her about it and just acknowledged the pain. And it was interesting because another friend, I said, oh, you know, I caught up with that person and I mentioned it and they said, oh, I didn't want to mention it because I didn't want to bring up that, that tough topic. But what happened after the meeting is she reached out to me and just said how much she was grateful that I, you know, held space to talk about it. So I think, you know, what you've mentioned and that your experience at the Utah school and just seeing things in a bigger way. And we do know that pharmacists as accessible healthcare providers can make such a difference for patients and for caregivers on this topic. And it's so complex. Yes, it is. And there's so much of a, there's the clinical component, there's the emotional component. It's the one disease process that I know about that hurts all the people around the person as much as it hurts the patient themselves. So it can be very hard to not be judgmental about that. And when somebody is judgmental, I say, I get it. You know, I I can understand. And so the first step is if your heart is still hardened, if you're judgmental and hardened and you think to yourself, those people deserve whatever they get and you don't want to learn about how how to help manage the problem, then think about all the people around that patient. And think about what can I do to help the people around that patient? Because it's very likely that you're not judgmental of them and that your heart is very much compassionate to the people around that patient. So first think about how you can help them 
uh, what's the important thing to do. And it will lead you right back into helping the patient and realizing that that's the way to help make everyone happier and healthier. Yeah, I love that. I love that about looking at the extended circle. That makes such a difference. That's so, so, so important. Well, you know, you and I have known each other a long time um, back to, I think I met you when you were a student leader. And, you know, back in the day, we received big news from a phone call. And, you know, we didn't get a text, we didn't get an email or wasn't on Instagram. And I remember getting the call that you were going to be a mom. And I was so excited and happy and joyful. But your journey to get there, it really wasn't easy. Can you tell us a little bit more about that story? Oh, yay. I was so hoping I would have time to get to tell the story. This is one of my favorite things to tell people. I got married really young and my mother cried and said, oh, no, you'll get pregnant. You'll never go to school and all of that. And I guess I showed her because it was almost 20 years later before I had my first biological child. (laughs) And even before that, I decided I didn't decide that I wanted to try to have a family. My husband and I, we did want to get through school first. So he had to finish school and then I had to finish school. And when it got to the point where I was approaching graduation from pharmacy school, I decided, okay, now might be a good time. We thought now might be a good time. And so we started trying. We said, we're, we're ready now. Let's go. And it didn't happen. And then another year went by and it didn't happen. And another and another and another. And we started doing all the things that people with infertility start to do. You start to get all the home testing kits. You start going to a doctor. You start doing everything that you can think of that you read about. Any, anything you read about that's supposed to help. You do all of those things. And you look around and you see why this, that it seems like it's so easy for everybody else. Every time you hear news from somebody else, it seems like somebody else you know is pregnant. You go to the grocery store and there's pregnant people. You go to Walmart and there's pregnant people. In my case, just before I actually did have the chance to be a mother, I was in charge of children's ministries at my church. And I was tasked with buying all of the supplies and things for a new nursery. We moved into a new building and we had a big donation from someone and they said, okay, you you just go to Baby Zeros and and buy everything that we need for a nursery and this person's going to pay for it. And I can tell you that that was an exceptionally painful shopping trip because there is no greater constellation of pregnant women than inside of Baby Zeros. And I remember going out to my car and sitting there and crying and crying and crying and saying, why do, Why is this not happening for me? You know, God, why do you not want me to do this? Because I, I would be a good mother. I mean, I would love my children and I would try to raise them to know you. And why is this happening? You know, why is this happening? And very shortly after that, someone at church asked me, when are you going to get some children of your own? Because you're always involved in, with kids. You have other people's kids with you all the time. You're involved in children's ministry. When are y'all going to have a family of your own? Um, and just as a side note, I would say, avoid asking that question. Yeah, I was going to say, married that's not, not helpful, right? No, it's not helpful. You never know, you know, just because I didn't say anything about it to anybody did not mean we weren't ready and hadn't been trying for years at that point. And I mentioned to that friend in my Sunday school class, well, actually, we've been trying for a lot of years and we've just started trying to do some infertility drugs and, and things like that. So we're hoping it'll work out. 
And that kind of blew his ears back because we had lived in a very small community and you think everybody knows everything, which this was not a known thing. So he went home and mentioned it to his wife. His wife was a nurse by training that she had been a stay-at-home mother for several years at that point in time. And for whatever reason, about a week or two before she'd gotten the wild hair that she was ready to go back to work for a little while. And she got a job at a hospital in Gadsden, which is a nearby town. And this was mm, maybe, maybe a couple of weeks after the conversation with the husband about, you know, we're, we're going to try. And I didn't say anything else about it and didn't say anything else about it afterwards. She took this job and on her first day of work, she was supposed to be sent to the recovery area to start training. And she, instead, in the, she was sent to the other side of labor and delivery so that she was where intake was for moms who were coming in. And a mother showed up at the door of the hospital with no prenatal care and came in and said, no one knows that I'm pregnant. She was a larger woman, so it wasn't obvious. She said, no one knows I'm pregnant and I don't want anybody to find out that I was pregnant. So I need to give birth and leave. But I've always heard you have to wait a long time to adopt a baby. And so I just assumed somebody here would help me find a family. And she was assigned to my friend from the Sunday school class who immediately called another couple in our Sunday school class who had uh, adopted re recently and found out from them, like, what lawyer did they use and how does the process work? And then she calls me and I'm driving in to work at the hospital just another day. Uh, and that particular morning I had found out again, had a negative pregnancy test and was really upset about the whole thing and was faxing. That's how long ago this was. I was sending faxes to the doctor's office saying, okay, I want to up the this, you know, I want yeah. to do this, this, and this, and this. I had my whole plan. We got to do all this. And she calls me and says, we have a, we have a, a baby being born. And the mother says that uh, she's willing to have you be the adoptive parents. And you need to come right now because she's pushing and she hangs up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my God, what, 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 yeah. what hit me? But I thought, baby, I'm going to get it. This is my baby. This is why I haven't been able to conceive. This is why all these years, all these things that we've done, none of it has ever worked because this baby is mine. And if I had had a biological baby, I might not have gone to get this baby. So I went and got her and they let us stay in the hospital with her for the three days until um, she was ready to be discharged. And they gave us temporary custody. So I took her home even before we had temporarily, before we had permanently adopted her, you can't do it that fast. You have to have a home study, which is usually done before the baby's in the home, but that's not the way it worked for us. And people called and said, what do you need? And I said, everything. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even have a wifey, you know, I, I've got nothing. That was really a joyous occasion. And then a few years later, I mean, I was happy. Um, I was perfectly happy. But the, that daughter was saying, you know, when am I, when am I going to have a little brother or sister? And my husband and I were saying, we love this so much. We love having a child. We'd love to have another child. So we started the process again of trying to conceive. And this time uh, it worked biologically. So almost on my 40th year of life, I ended up having a baby. And so I had pictures of my newborn and my 20th wedding anniversary pictures together in the same little picture thing that we used to carry around before all our pictures were on our phone. So the, those were 
by far the greatest blessings of my life. I just didn't expect either one of those two things to ever happen. You know, Valerie, that story is so powerful. And I want to say thank you for sharing, you know, one in 10 women experience infertility and I, I am one of them. It's, it can be such a big deal and it's not really talked about very much. And, you know, I remember when we got the call about the baby and that you were going to the hospital and you were getting everything together and it was just so, I don't know, it was just so amazing. And it's such an inspiring story and shows such hope. And then, you know, that you, a couple of years later, a few years later, biologically had a child. I mean, that could be a TV movie and, or on Netflix now, right? <laughs> Yes, oh, absolutely. Uh, there were parts of that story too that uh, the more you know about the story, the more you realize that that happened. That was hand of God. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't believe in coincidences and things like that. The the lawyer who came and processed our temporary adoption and later did the the regular adoption was the person who has helped write most of the adoption law in the state of Alabama. And you can't get in to see him. You have to wait for months to see him. Uh, the other couple in our Sunday school, it took them forever to get in with him. And he dropped everything and came to, to help us that day because he was scheduled to do a CE for judges the next day. And he had blocked that day off as an office day to work on that CE. But since the couple called him that he worked with and told him about the story, he just dropped and came and, and processed that for us. So he was available at that point in time when we still had the, my baby in the hospital and we were waiting uh, to, to go home, one of the residents who came in, the medical residents who came in to see the baby was someone I had gone to pharmacy school with in a different state for three years. And then she dropped out to go to medical school. It was just one, one thing after another wow. of, uh, evidence of the, uh, that that was uh, the hand of God. Wow. And there's layers of that that I, you know, wasn't aware of. I knew pieces of it, but thank you, you know, for sharing that. It's just such a special story. And I think it gives people hope, you know, whether you're on an infertility journey or whether you're on a journey where it feels like it's dark right now and, you know, where is the light or when is it going to get better? I think your story and your examples of your family just shows to stick with it, have faith, hope, you know, that, that things can turn around around the corner and that we just don't know that. I mean, especially when you talk about driving that morning and how deflated you were, if you probably picture yourself back then to then when you got the call, the difference in that short amount of time would probably be very remarkable. Yeah. Oh, when I was driving that morning, it was pouring down rain. I will never forget. And when I got that call and I hung up the phone, it took me about 30 seconds, maybe, to make up my mind and realize there was there was no way I was going to pass this up. The first person I called was my director of pharmacy to tell him that I was going to be late that day. And if this worked out, I might never be back. Um, <laughs> and then after him, after him, I called my husband, which tells you a little bit of something about my work ethic and orientation in life that I would call my boss first and then call my husband to tell him I was going to get a baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love it. Well, you know, our time together is drawing to a close and on each of these episodes, I wrap up or conclude with asking our guests, while I have you, is there one prescription or life lesson you'd like to share with others or comment on in the spirit of Melissa Rx scripts? Oh, I thought so much about this question. And my first thought was, you know, who, who am I to, to be trying to give life lessons to anybody? 
and then I thought, well, you know, I've been alive for 50 plus years, and I actually think that I have learned some things, and some of them not in very good ways, but uh, I've learned them. And one of the things I think that I would say the most is accept whatever season in life that you are in, whatever season you're in, God has put you there at that time, and try to make the most out of it. And try to be happy right then where you are. Don't wait till something else happens or something changes or you're led to a different place. Be happy with the season you're in and accept it. When I was in pharmacy school, I loved being in pharmacy school. I loved being at Mercer. I loved, loved being part of ASP. I loved where I did my residency when I was early in practice. I loved that. I love being part of the Academy of Pharmacy Practice and Management, one of the best things ever. And I I did make the most of that. But sometimes in life, like the period when I was suffering from infertility, that season of life was extremely painful and extremely hard to accept in retrospect when I realized there was a reason for me to be in that season and, and to go through that thing. You just have to realize that God has a plan for your life. He puts you in different seasons in different places at different times and try to accept that and try to be happy where you are. You only have one chance to go through a lot of seasons, one chance in pharmacy school, one chance to be early in your career, definitely only one chance to parent your children. There are no do-overs for uh, most seasons in life. So just make the most of it when you're there. Wow. Thank you. Make the most of it. Be happy in the season of your life. Those are profound words that I think all of us can reflect on, especially during these times. Well, Val, it's been a treat for us to catch up today. And I just want to say thank you for sharing your insights with me. This is the Melissa Rx Scripps podcast. I want to thank our listeners and encourage you to follow us on social media. I also want to say a special thank you to Kate Cruz with Executive Podcast Solutions, who's our producer, makes such a big difference and makes the magic happen. And thanks so much for listening. Thank you.